in a world where heroes reign supreme. Even the heroes need help. Robin, I need your help. What is it, Batman? I need you to fold my laundry. I can do that. Thanks, man. Never realized how difficult it would be out in the dark all the time. Dude, I think I messed up the bathroom again. On if it. it weren't for the sidekicks, ah! the heroes wouldn't know what to do. Batman, what is it? She dumped me! Oh no, Batman. Robin, she found out I don't have any real powers. I'm giving you a hug through the phone, buddy. Thanks, man. I did that. They may not get to be the hero, but who said they asked to be? Sorry, man. I've been watching that all morning. It's so funny. Hey, welcome to Cornerstone Church. Glad that you're here. Man, it's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Scott. So glad to be with you again today. And uh, if this is your first time here, thanks for taking time out of your day to come on out and check out what's going on here at Cornerstone. So let's give it up for everybody who's here for the first time. Come on, man. Glad you guys are here. Way to go. Way to go. You know, uh, one of the many things I love about Cornerstone is is because you just finished a series called Big Words of the Bible. Anybody, you remember that? Anybody here for that series? Just finished, was it good? Wasn't it good stuff? And one of the reasons I love Cornerstone is because we eat our fruits and vegetables around here. That just means that like that series was teaching some of the core essentials and truths that really give us a greater understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What is the Christian life built on? And what was so cool about that series was not only getting an understanding about, well, what do I believe as a follower of Jesus, but what is it that God builds my life on uh, from Scripture? And if you are not a follower of Christ and you're curious, like, what, what does it mean? What, what, is, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus and why? That series is one of the ones I'd encourage you to go back and go online and watch every single message. It's called Big Words of the Bible, and I think it'll really be helpful for you. Um, but today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Sidekicks. Everybody say, Sidekicks. So, so we're going to have some fun with this, if you don't mind. Um, sidekicks, what we're going to do in this series, though, is... Long as, as having fun, is, but also that was just a mess I just had right there, wasn't it? Let me try that again. In addition to having fun, we're going to have a very important conversation. There, does that sound better? And that conversation is going to focus around answering the question, how does God want to use me and to use you to make a difference in this world? And what we want to do is we want to remove the mystery of how that all happens. Take out the, 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 the mysticism, like, do we just stumble upon doing something in this world and making a difference that God calls it? Do we just fall on it? Or how does it happen? And we're going to remove the mystery. And today we're actually going to talk about just two simple things that are almost always present when God asks us to do something to make a difference in the world, you can almost guarantee that these two things are going to happen right out of the gate. And for some of you, or many of you, who are, are really 
currently making a difference in this world, doing it in the name of Christ, my hope is that this conversation would encourage you to continue, to keep on going. And for those of you who are here who maybe are like, yeah, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus, or I'm checking out this, this, checking this whole thing out, but I'm not really doing anything. I'm not really engaged in something that I believe God has called me to do to make a difference in the world. My hope and my prayer is that God would use this talk to push you over the ledge and get going because the Christian life was never designed to be boring or easy. In fact, I would say God designed walking with him and doing something in this world to be exciting and actually often difficult. And we're going to look at why that is here in just a minute. So sidekicks really understand their mission. Sidekicks exist to serve their superhero, right? How many of you guys are superhero fans? Anybody? Superhero fan? How many of you guys are Batman fans? Anybody in here like Batman? Come on. The guy's got the cape and the tights. He's a stud. How about the man of steel, Superman? Anybody? Any Superman fans here? You guys are quieter than around a golf on a Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Come on, man. Any Spider-Man fans in the house today? Spidey's cool. Maybe now the, the more popular one now of recent years is Captain America. Any Captain America fans here? Yeah? Okay. How about, you can't, you know, you're talking superhero. You can't leave this one out. Wonder Woman. Come on. Yeah? She's got, she's got the biggest applause all day long. You know superheroes. They're the ones that swoop in and save the day at minimum. But at most, they save the world. They're changing the world, man. They're awesome. Have you ever dreamed about being a superhero? I mean, don't we... Haven't most of us, I think, like at some point in our life, maybe you were a kid or you're in a midlife crisis or something's going on and you just dream of somehow changing the world. Maybe as a kid you, you put on the tidy whities you put the underoos on and you put the sheet around you and you jumped off the roof of the house, right, because you want to be that superhero. Anybody ever do that? You ever jump off the roof of the a cup? That, that, that's just, you're supposed to do that, people. That's what life is about. And so... In some ways, though, we kind of let that, that dream of being a superhero go. But as we grow older, we do really, I think, many of us, we want to change the world somehow. We want to make an impact in this world. And what I want to do is today just first remind us, all fiction aside, all the, the, the cartoon characters aside, when we read our Bible, God is very clear that there's only one superhero who came to save the world. And that's the Son of God. That's Jesus, the Christ, the risen King. He's the one who saves us from our sins. And then one person agrees with me, man. Thank you so much. 20 bucks coming your way. Jesus is that superhero. And just keep him with his theme. And here's the deal. A sidekick exists to serve their superhero. So what I want to do is if you dream of being a superhero, I want to squish your dreams today. Give it up. There's only one, but maybe I can somehow encourage you, maybe even inspire you to take up the dream of being a sidekick, partnering with God to make a difference in the world because sidekicks are vital. In fact, where would Batman be without Robin? Look at the guy. He doesn't even wear tights. He wears a Speedo. That takes <laughs> courage to do that. How about Superman's sidekick, Jimmy Olsen? I don't know how he got the gig. I mean, look at the guy. He kind of looks like me, like he's been working out for a long time and nothing's happening, right? Spider-Man, I heard, had a sidekick in one of the comics. His name was Alpha. I don't, the dude's not even cool. Forget that one. Let's go on. Captain America had Bucky Barnes. 
How would you love to have that name? Bucky Barnes, please come to the office, please. The principal's calling you. Or Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's sidekick was, well, she didn't need a sidekick because we all know that women don't need help getting the job done. No help, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> or what about Lynn Lantern and his sidekicks, the campus pastors? Larry and Aaron. Isn't that just scary right there? Oh, yeah. How about Lynn wishes he had abs like that, man? So sidekick. Everybody say sidekick. sidekick. We're going to really discover how does God use us to make a difference in the world. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible on you, we're going to put them up on the screen as we go. Um, but turn to chapter 2, and if there's a memory verse or something that you pin on your mirror, throw it on the fridge, put it on the dashboard of your car that says, here's what a sidekick is all about. It's Philippians 2 and verse 4. So let me read it to you here. It's really short and right to the point. It says this, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So let's come back to that in just a moment because I want to paint a picture of something for you. If you've ever read the Bible, you're familiar with this. The first book in the Old Testament is called Genesis. The first verse in the first chapter says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God did not need you or me to get that done. He did it all on his own. And then you fast forward way to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and in chapter 21, it says that at some point in the future, God is going to make all things new. Everybody say, all things new. And he's going to do that without your help or my help. He's going to get it done all by himself. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In the end, he's going to make all things new, and he's going to get it done. But what's interesting is in between in the beginning and all things new, God has chosen to get things done through you, through his people. And so I want in on that, don't you? I want to partner with God, and I want to make a difference in this world, and I want to be a part of God's plan of getting stuff done in the world. So look back at that verse again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, don't look out only for your own interests. Now pause right there because it's just good news to, to realize we're not selfish when we're taking care of ourselves. I mean, we have to take care of ourselves. God says that we have to do that. That's part of the equation. But then it goes on and says, but take an interest in others too. Simple statement, but I guarantee when we take it to heart, it profoundly impacts almost every area of our life. In fact, of the two simple things I want to share to you about what it looks like to begin to be used by God to make a difference in the world, here's the first one. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If, if not, just... Take it in, okay? And here it is. Is that God exposes you to a need when he's recruiting you to be part of the solution. God's going to expose you to a need when he's calling you or recruiting you to be a part of the solution. Now, I'm not just saying God's going to um, cause you to take notice. We can take notice of needs around the world by just turning on the news or going online and reading the news. It's all over the place, right? Just go to Facebook. We see all the stuff going on around the world. There's a whole lot of need around the world. But what I mean uh, in this context is that God's going to expose each one of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, I guarantee it. At some point along the way, he's going to expose you and I to a particular need 
because he wants us to be part of the solution. And the way that it works is that he literally bothers us with an unmet need in the world. It's almost as if um, you, you, he brings you to that Popeye moment. Anybody remember Popeye? Popeye was the sailor man, and he'd eat the spinach to go kick Brutus's butt because Brutus is chasing after olive oil, his girl, and Popeye would get all frustrated, and he'd get all worked up, and he'd say this statement that some of you have heard before. He'd say, I can't take it anymore. I can't stand anymore, right? I can't. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand anymore. And then he would squeeze the spinach open and he'd eat it and bam, there he goes. And it's almost like this same situation. When God exposes you and I to a need, when he's recruiting us to be part of the solution, we almost get to that place where we're like, I can't stand this. Something, excuse me, something has to be done. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God has brought you to that place where you're incredibly uncomfortable and even burdened with the need not being met. Some of you have probably been burdened by God and are doing something about helping kids have access to education, the same access that you and I had. Maybe some of you are so burdened and passionate about helping people have access to clean drinking water. Why do we not have that around the world when we have so much technology in the world? Maybe many of you are, are getting involved with this backpack drive going, how in the world are kids on our watch, in our community, going to school, not having the supplies they need, and not even just that, but having the way to carry it around? Let's get them a backpack. Let's do something that seems small, but it's actually significant, and it bothers you that that is not getting done. Maybe for you, it's, it's the atrocity of human trafficking. Why is it that Phoenix is one of the most... Uh, I don't say busiest, it's, it's basically a thoroughfare for trafficking in our country. Why is that happening on my watch? And it's like God bothers you to the degree you're like, dang it, something has to be done. And I guarantee if you're at that place and you're a follower of Christ and you feel that way, I can, I'll say almost guarantee, I can almost say guarantee that God's recruiting you to be part of the solution. Look, don't look out only for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Look out for the needs around the world and let God captivate you on something unique. And he's calling us to be a part of the solution. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, a story in the Old Testament where God did just this. And we're going to look at the life of a woman named Esther. Everybody say Esther. Esther was pretty awesome. Uh, Turn there if you have a Bible with you. Go to the Old Testament. And Esther is really a short 10-chapter book in the Old Testament. And what's really unique about Esther is it's one of only two books in all the Bible. The 66 books in the Bible, there's only two of them, Esther and the Song of Solomon, that never mention the name of God. God is not explicitly mentioned in either of these books. But what's really interesting about Esther is that even though God's not mentioned, the handprint of God is all over this thing. And we're going to learn from Esther how when she was in a moment of being recruited by God to make a difference in the world, what she went through, how she processed it, and how she responded. And it's somewhat similar to what you and I are going to experience when God says, hey, you're up, you're next, come on, let's do this thing. So turn to chapter 4 in Esther, and let me give you, uh, I'll say, a three-minute 
flyover of the story just to set the context up, okay? I'm going to introduce you to some characters. And this is like a movie plot, definitely PG-13, so um, follow along with this. So basically, and this is, this is nonfiction, okay? It's, it's not fiction. This actually happened. It's historical uh, proof. This happened. It's, it's in Scripture. The Jews were under the rule of the Persians, and the king's name, the Persian king's name was Xerxes. Everybody say Xerxes. Xerxes was a brutal person. He was probably a lush, probably a pervert, just an all-out, hard-ruling guy. And the whole book starts out in chapter 1. He's having a six-month-long party. Six months. And it is a huge party. So much so that at the end of the 180-day party, he has another seven-day party to kind of cap it off. As if they're saying, man, look at this. We just had the party of the century. Let's just have another quick little party just to show how cool this party was. So he has a seven-day party to wrap it up. At the same time, his wife, the queen, her name's Vashti. Everybody say Vashti. Vashti's having another party with all these women. And so King Xerxes, he's probably on his... His, his eighth glass of Merlot, and he says, hey, man, go get the queen and bring her in because she's a hottie, and I want to parade her in front of all the people here. And so they go and to get the queen, ask her to come in and present herself to the party, and she declines. The king is immediately ticked off, wondering, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he has this little cohort of guys that give him legal counsel, and he says, what should I do in this situation? And one guy pipes up, and he says, well, here's the deal. You have to remove her from being queen because if you don't, she's going to set the example for all the women in the kingdom and now all the women are going to disrespect their man. Check it out. Read it sometime. That's really what's going on. So the king removes her from being queen and then he launches his own season of The Bachelor. They literally go out into the kingdom and find hundreds, if not thousands of girls that go through this bachelor thing and they run them through this beautification thing. You know, they're getting the manis and the petties and the facials and the salon, whatever they're doing. And, and one of the girls that's in this is a girl named Esther. Everybody say Esther. So Esther is a Jew and Esther is an orphan. And when, or, when, when she was an orphan, her older cousin, Mordecai, say Mordecai. You guys are going to be masters of the book of Esther by the time we're done. Mordecai adopts her into his family and basically parents her. And in that process, he says to her, he says, I want you to conceal your nationality because Jews aren't always uh, looked favorably upon in this kingdom. So Esther is really good looking. She's brought on to the bachelor and she runs through the program, she's presented before the king, and she wins. She's now the queen. There's a Jew who's queen, and the king doesn't know it. Meanwhile, everybody say meanwhile. I didn't mean to scare the children, but anyway. Meanwhile, uh, uh, King Xerxes promotes this guy Haman to be vice president, or second in the kingdom. And Haman is a jerk. And Haman actually requires everyone in his presence to bow before him. Not as if he were a deity, but just bow in reverence and respect for who he is and the office he has. And so people are bowing before him, but there's one guy who consistently never bows. Guess who that is? Mordecai the Jew. And so Haman is just livid, and he's determined to, to execute, to kill Mordecai, but he finds out he's Jewish, and he says, oh, 
These are the people that never really fall into the program. They never really adopt all of our customs. This is a great way, a great reason to kill them all. So he goes to the king and he talks them in to a genocide to exterminate the Jews. Whose predecessor is Haman? Hitler. Literally. He's the Hitler of the day, wanting to exterminate the Jews. The king approves of it for some crazy reason. So Haman sets out the date. He says, here's the date. All of you Jews, you're done on this date. So Mordecai freaks out. And he says, I've got to get this news to Esther, the queen, because she's out of touch, man. She's living in the palace. She's living high on the hog. She has no idea this is going on. And Esther has to go to the king and convince him to stop this, what he just signed into law on this date, the Jews are going to die. Okay? So now chapter 4. Say chapter 4. That brings you up to speed, okay? So let's dig into chapter 4. And you're going to have to read the rest of it later on your own to find out what really happens. It's pretty crazy, but it's good stuff. So Esther chapter 4, verse 10, we have Mordecai and Esther messaging back and forth. They're not texting. They're just kind of sending a messenger to communicate back and forth. And Mordecai says, you've got to go to the king. You have to tell him you're a Jew. You have to get him to stop this, this execution of our race. And then so here's what it says. Esther told Hathak, please, people, don't name your kid Hathak. If you like the whole Bible names, don't pick that one because they'll be picked down forever. Esther told Hathak to go back and relay the message to Mordecai, and here's what she says. She says, yeah, but all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. So basically she's saying, hey, if the king doesn't request your presence and you present yourself to him anyway, you're killed. It doesn't work that way. So she's basically saying to Mordecai, hey man, if I go to the king, I could die. So it continues, verse 12. It says, it says this, uh, verse 11. And the king, she says, the king hasn't even called for me uh, for like 30 days. Verse 12. So the guy Hathak gives uh, Esther's message to Mordecai. So sends it to Mordecai. Here's Mordecai's response. Here's where we're going to camp out for the next few minutes before I'm done. We've only got 95 minutes to go. So verse 13. Some of you are like, what, man? Dude, you didn't tell me that was... No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'll be done in two hours. So verse 13 says, Mordecai sent reply to Esther saying, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. He's saying, hey, this has been written into law and you're going to be found out too. So don't think you're going to avoid this yourself. This is coming down on you as well. And then verse 14 says... He, uh, Mordecai says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And what he really is referring to is what we would call the sovereignty of God. He's saying, hey, here's the deal. You know, God's big plan for all of mankind, his macro plan, he's going to get it done. But he's choosing to get it done through his micro plan, through people. So even though this ship is going to end at its destination, before it gets there, a bunch of people could die and not be a part of it. Are you going to let that happen? Esther, you have to do something. And then he goes on, and he says maybe the most famous verse or statement in the book. He says, who knows? Everybody say, who knows? Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? So here's what's happening. 
And it happens for you and for me when God exposes us to a need, recruits us to be part of the solution. What happened to Esther will happen to us, and that is that we will feel incredibly inadequate for the job. And we will certainly face uncertainty. She's going, hey, if I go to the king, I could die if this doesn't go well. She's uncertain. And who am I? Yeah, I'm the queen, but once he finds out I'm a Jew, I mean, it's off of my head too. We feel inadequate. We feel uncertain. What's going to happen? What are we going to do with this thing? And when God gets our attention and he basically says, hey, I want you to get involved with this, we're going to feel the same way. In fact, I would suggest that if God calls you or me to do something to make a difference and our response is, oh, yeah, man, I got this. Oh, I learned that in ninth grade, man. I got this. This is a piece of cake. I would suggest if that's our response, we're not seeing enough of the big picture. Because when God calls us to do something to make a difference, it's always going to require him to do it through us. And he's going to get the glory for it. So Esther's standing here like, if God doesn't come through, I'm through. And it's crazy, like, that's kind of the posture that we need to live in. Is that, okay, God, you're asking me to get involved with that and, and help and maybe be part of the solution? Well, God, if you don't come through, I'm through, man. I'm through. That's what we experience. But here's the thing. Here's the second thing I want to throw it at you. First one was God's going to expose you to a need to recruit you to be part of the solution. The second thing is this. In order to respond to it, we need to reject being passive and step out of our comfort zone. Mordecai says to her, let me read it to you again. He really challenges her and says, hey, if you keep quiet at this time, if you choose to be passive, if you choose to stick your head in the sand and not do anything, just know this, it's going to hit your house too. And please hear me and don't assume I'm not talking about politics right now. I'm talking about hurting people in the world that God wants to use you and me to reach to help and make a difference in their life. If you keep quiet at a time like this, and then he goes on and he says, who knows, maybe God's brought you to be the queen for this very purpose. I mean, I get it. Life doesn't go according to plan. And we end up in certain places in life, and, and who knows, maybe, maybe you are right where you're supposed to be for God to use you to do something significant in this world. Or maybe you're like me and you made a number of mistakes and you're at a place that's somewhat the result of those mistakes, but God will still use us of what, because of what we learned to make a difference in the world. And I love what Mordecai says. You'd think he'd say this. He'd say, all right, Esther, so here's the deal. Yeah, the king, he hasn't asked you to come before him, um, but man, we're all fasting, we're all praying, and we're confident that God's going to be with you, and we all know that God's, when God's with you, it's going to be a success. So go, Esther. God's got your back. You'd think that's what he'd say. But I love what he says. He's so honest. He's like, yeah, go before the king. And I don't know if he's going to kill you. I mean, he could kill you. But let me encourage you by this by saying, who knows? Who knows? I love that. I love that. When I, used to, I used to think that when I was um, in different leadership capacities in church and all that kind of stuff, when people would come to me and say, hey, Pastor Scott, where are we going? 
where's the church going and, and how's this going to end up? And, and if, if I do what God's asking me to do, man, is it going to work? And I used to try to come up with an answer, like be the confident guy who knew it all. And I soon realized I'd have to backpedal all the time because I didn't know what I was talking about. And then I learned later on, someone would ask something like, hey, if I do this, God's put this on my heart. If I step out and I do it, man, is it, is it going to be awesome? And I'd say, who knows? You don't know until you try. But I can guarantee you this, it'll never go according to plan. It'll never go according to plan. Because here's why. Because not only is God recruiting us to be part of the solution when he exposes us to a need, not only is he asking us to refuse being passive, to step out of our comfort zone, when we do, God is always at work on two levels. Guarantee. And this is how I kind of like to say it. I say it this way. Um, when God is making a difference in the world through you, God is making a difference in you. And I'm convinced that God, the work that God wants to do in us will go undone until we step outside of ourselves and we serve other people and we try to make a difference in the world. And I would even say that when we're trying to make a difference, often that's God's secondary priority. And his first priority is trying to do a work in us as we try to make a difference in the world. It's like he has to push us out of the nest to do something even more significant in our heart. Let me give you an example. I, uh, uh, I told this story before, and I heard that you can tell a story at Cornerstone about four times and you can't tell it anymore. So I think this is the second time on this story. So if you've heard it before, uh, I'm going to expand on it uh, a little. So when I gave my life to Christ, God just really revolutionized so much of my life. And I've told some of that story. Um, but I, I became really hungry, hungry to introduce people to Christ. I'm like, God, man, you're doing so much in my life. I want to share this with other people. And I began to kind of kind of like, what do, you, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to help with, God? What, what can I do? And our church did something back in that day. We, 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 it's a churchy word. We call it outreach. And it's a perfectly good word. It's basically how do we reach out into the community and try to make a difference, try to help some people, maybe ultimately introducing them to Jesus. And so our, our church did this thing in the inner city where, where we lived, this outreach where they'd go and they'd feed homeless folks and go visit people living under bridges and just loving on them, praying with them. And they'd go into the housing projects in the neighborhoods in the inner city and, and just visit with people, love on the kids. And they'd pick up all these kids from the inner city and bring them over to this little storefront location that they had right in a really rough part of town. And they'd fill that place up with kids and they'd do like a one-hour church service for kids. Games and candy and music and they'd have a little Bible lesson and just had a great time. So they'd bring them in and they'd pack them in there. And one night I went down to check it out only because I wanted to encourage them and just kind of check it off my list like, oh, I went and checked that out. But I wasn't like a kid guy. In fact, I thought kids just had cooties. I'm like, they all have cooties. Keep them away from me. I was single, didn't have any kids. I'm like, oh man, these snotty nose, all, all this stuff about kids. So I went... And there's like 75 kids in the room. It's packed out. I was a little late. They were already going, getting going with the stuff. And the lady, and her, a lady and her husband were running the deal. And the lady says to me, Scott, glad you're here. I got a job for you. And I thought, I'm not here to work. I'm, not, I'm just here to check it out and get out of here, man. She says, no, no, no. I want to introduce you to someone. This little boy, his name is Demario. And he's eight years old. Anybody heard this story? Good. A whole bunch of you haven't. So I want to introduce you to Demario. Demario's being very disruptive tonight. Will you please just kind of hang out with Demario, keep him company because he's not sticking with the program, 
and, and take care of them. You guys can go in the back of the room and just sit there with them. And I thought, what am I going to say, no? So yeah, sure. So we go in the back of the room. I pull out two chairs and we sit there. I put them face to face. And I, DeMario sits down and I'm looking at and he's, you know, he's just got he's just pent up rage. And I said, hey, DeMario, my name's Scott. Nice to meet you. And he stares at me, doesn't, doesn't say a word. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know what to say. And then I, I'm trying to think of something because he doesn't say a word. I was like, well, man, um, how you doing? Not a word. Tomorrow, is there anything I can do for you? Can I help you in any way? Just, just stares at me. So we're kind of like eye to eye. I'm trying to, I'm smiling like, what's going on here? And he's just staring at me. And before I could react... Out of nowhere, he just pulls back and blasts me right in the jaw. Now, I'm talking, this kid was living in an environment where he's learning how to survive. That kind of a blast in the face. This wasn't some suburb softy hit. This was, this, I was seeing stars immediately. And my jaw was, boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there, and my first thought after he decks me in the jaw, my first thought was, I'm going to introduce this boy to Jesus right now. He's going. I'm going to send you to your maker. I mean, I was, I was, what just happened? Oh my gosh. And I'm seeing stars. My face is hurting. And I'm like, I just want to take this kid out right now. CPS will arrest me, but justice has been done. And I kid you not, serious, right when I'm having that thought, simultaneously, it's like God poured a bucket of compassion right over me. And the kid that just decked me in the jaw, I immediately fell in love with. You can't explain it. And not only that, I'm talking about in this moment, all this is, is going through my heart, through my mind. I fall in love with the kid. I'm like, man, this kid needs someone in his life to mentor him. He needs someone in his life to help him out. And then it just kept expanding. I'm talking like within 30 seconds. Man, and all these kids in this room maybe all of them need someone to come in their life and mentor them. And, oh, my gosh, all of the, you know, I'm going like all, all the kitties, kitties, all of the kids. I'm not a cat lover. Don't even say kitties. All the kids in this area in the inner city, they need me. I mean, literally, that's what I was thinking. God exposed me to a need and immediately bothered me. Something has to be done. And so literally, because a kid hit me in the face, I spent the next eight years of my life investing in kids in that part of the inner city. My wife and I met doing that. We get married. We bought a house. We come off our honeymoon, buy a house. And forgive me if this is politically incorrect to say this. This is what I call it. This is what my neighbors called it. We just, our neighborhood, we, it was the ghetto. Okay? It just is what it is. And we bought a house in the ghetto, and we moved in, and we were like trying to love on these kids and invest our life into these kids. And so what happened is over the course of time at this little, where we get all these kids in this room, they'd say, hey, Scott, can you teach the Bible lesson? I thought, teach the Bible? I don't, I don't know about that. What's, I don't know. So I gave it a shot, and it was horrible. I didn't know what I was doing. And I'd teach, and I'd teach the next time, and I'd walk out of the room, tail between my legs, going, gosh, this is horrible. They're not listening to me. They're hitting each other. They're not paying attention. They're just here for the candy. Wah, 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 wah. I'm no good. God, why are you asking me to do this? I mean, literally, I'd go home sometimes as a mess, going, I'm done with this God. I hate him, but why can't I leave it, you know? And then we had a great idea. Well, instead of always bringing the kids to us, 
let's go out to them. So we got these, uh, we got three of those big uh, rider, like rental trucks. And we cut out the side of the truck and made, uh, so the side of the truck would fold down into a stage. They used to call it back in the old days, they call it sidewalk Sunday school. And we'd take these trucks into the basketball courts of our inner city and we'd pull in, we'd plop the stage down, put the music up, we'd get all the stuff out, the games and stuff, and we'd attract like a couple hundred kids and sit them down in front of the stage on the truck. And there I was standing on this little stage of a, a rental truck with a microphone in my hand trying to teach the Bible in the middle of the inner city with cars going by, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and this chaos going on around us, and I'm trying to teach them about Jesus. And I learned God did something in me that he probably couldn't have done unless I was doing that. One thing he taught me was you can talk about Jesus all day long with someone, but unless you're willing to build a relationship with them and they know that you care about them first, you're probably not going to get very far. And so we heavily invested our lives into these kids. The next thing he taught me was well, I'm trying to keep the attention of all these little kids sitting outside in the middle of a basketball court. He started teaching me some things about keeping their attention. I had no idea that at some point later in my life, there was another group of kids that God would want me to teach, and those are called adults. <laughs> and if I've ever kept your attention, it's because I did it standing on the stage of a truck on a basketball court in the inner city, and God taught me something. See, every time you and I say, okay, God, use me. You put something on my heart, you've exposed me to a need, and I just can't let it go. You're recruiting me. Yeah, I, I'm uncertain how it's going to end. I have no idea. I don't feel adequate for the job. But I choose to, re, I refuse to be passive. And I step out of my comfort zone. And when we do, God works on two levels. He does make a difference through us. Sometimes it's hard to measure. But what you can measure is the difference he makes in us when we do it. And I'm telling you right now, if, if you're one of those folks, I'm wrapping up here, I'm going a couple minutes over. But if you're one of those folks who you have stepped out and you're saying, God, use me, and you're trying to make a difference and you're frustrated, I just want to be one that says, man, keep at it. Keep going. Because God's doing something in you that he's going to use in the future to continue to make an impact. And if you're here today and you'd honestly say, man, I don't think I've ever stepped out to try to make a difference in the name of Christ. There's a lot at Cornerstone Church just to get involved with, just to start. I'm telling you, God wants to do something in you that if you don't step out and do it, it's not going to get done in you. Not to mention what he wants to get done through you. 20 years ago, this church started because Lynn and maybe a small group of other folks had a burden. They saw a need for a church like Cornerstone in this community. And they, they probably felt inadequate. But they refused to be passive. And they stepped out of their comfort zone. And many of you are the benefactors of that moment. Will you be that for someone else down the road? I'm going to pray for you that God would use us. Okay, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, um, man, we're, we're humbled. We're humbled that in the beginning you created, you created this whole thing and you needed no one but yourself. And in the end, where you're going to make it all new, you need no one but yourself. But God, in between, you've chosen to get things done through us. So Lord, 
today I pray for those of us here who have stepped out and are trying to make a difference. God, I pray for strength. I pray for commitment. I pray for clarity of what you're calling them to do. And Lord, for those of us who, who maybe have been passive and, and stayed within our comfort zone, God, I pray that you'd push us over the edge so we can step out. Who knows what's going to happen? But we know that you'll do something through us and in us as we do it. So God, I pray for this series. We talk about being sidekicks. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to make a difference in this world as you recruit us to do just that. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.